we have been going through the larger catechism on prayer of late, and we're concluding it tonight with that conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And here in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 to 20, we see uh, the truth of that uh, being displayed for us. So turn there, 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 20, and hear the word of God. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of your people and fix their heart toward you. Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And there is God's inerrant, inspired, and holy word, and may he bring his blessing to us. It's quite a charge that David gives as he is uh, extolling the greatness of God, and it sort of forms a, a great conclusion to the end of this series on the means of grace and how we uh, experience and are nurtured in the benefits of Christ's uh, salvation, how those things are communicated to us. And you see David here reminding uh, the uh, the people uh, how God desires of them hearts that are loyal and hearts that are seeking to give and to bless God and to extol his name, 
the end result of these means of grace at work in our lives, that God would receive the glory. And indeed, when you look at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to conclude with at the end of our our service, at the end of this message, it points us right back to God again. Yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and in that light, we, we understand uh, that uh, we, we are here for God's purposes. Now, this is the conclusion of prayer. And I think it, it behooves us to just stop and think about our prayer life and to think about how we seek God's help and ask for his blessings. Let me ask this this question. It may sound rhetorical, but I think you'll see that it isn't rhetorical. Why do you believe that your Father in Heaven can do what you petition Him for? We ask a lot from God, do we not? We had a time of intercession and prayer, and, and we were praying for God to do some mighty things for people and for His church and For each one of ourselves. Why do you believe that your Father in Heaven can do what you petition Him for? And it is, if I can put this into your thoughts, it is because of this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Because yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And so we have asked, as you go through that whole Lord's Prayer, we have asked, hallow your name. We've asked for your kingdom to come. We've asked for your will to be done. We've asked for our daily bread. We've asked for mercy and forgiveness and a heart that's willing to extend that. We have asked to be guarded against temptation and against the evil one, to be delivered from evil. We've asked for all these things in all of their expansiveness. And why is it that we believe God can do these things? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is a way of praying the promises of God to him and setting them before him and saying, God, this is what your word said you would do for us. Come and do it because of who you are. If you believe your heavenly Father has the kingdom, holds the kingdom, and the power and the glory, then think on this. If you believe those things, then why are our petitions and prayer lives often so small and weak and infrequent? And and, and that that is the challenge that we have. I I say this not, not to berate you, congregation, but to acknowledge the difficulty we have in our prayer life to God that for many of us, It takes until we reach those elderly years to have finally acquired a a decent amount of time for God in prayer. That many of us as Christians 
begin and go through the early and middle years of our lives struggling to have that time with God and struggling to pour out our hearts to God and perhaps even presuming, well, God knows my needs. I don't have time to pray, so I'll just get on with my life and trust that God will do what is good for me. You might think, oh, well, what's wrong with that? But it actually isn't a life that shows that confidence and encouragement of heart for what God can and will and has promised to do. And that's why this matter of prayer is so, so important. I know, and and in my own life of ministry, uh, you know, that time of intercession that we have in the evening service for many is is hard. (laughs) It's hard even for a congregation to spend, as it was tonight, 13 minutes, maybe 14, I think, in that time, to spend 14 minutes together in bowed head pleading with the Lord. Why? We might say, well, it's weakness, it's the hour, and things of like that. But it's even more that we confess many things about who God is, but in our life we don't show an apprehension of those things, and it is a struggle. The Lord's Prayer ends with this doxology for a reason. And and you can see uh, in your bulletin, it's for a reason. It's for our encouragement and our praise and our amen at the end of our prayers. It's an acknowledgement of our heart. Oh God, we are trusting you To do what you have said. And we have set your word before you. To say God here's your promise. Fulfill it now. It's hard. Prayer is hard. I think prayer is probably one of the hardest. uh, uh, Labors of the Christian life. To give it over to God. Now there is serious question about the legitimacy of these words as a conclusion to the Lord's Prayer as it's found in Matthew 6, verse 13. The textual critics of the day contest that it was never a part of the original manuscript because it, it's only found in certain documents and uh, not in what they consider to be the more reliable documents. They believe it to be an addition Uh, by scribal influence by the end of the first century. But there are other documents from the first to the fourth century that show it as part of Scripture. And the question that is often raised is, is it proper to have this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, uh, to use it to enforce our arguments as we pray? And my answer is going to be simple on two fronts. Yes. On one front, I believe it is part of Scripture. I believe in the documents that hold it to be there. Uh, We don't have, I believe, enough clarity for us to make judgments as to what are the more reliable and less reliable. There's confusion there. But it being there does not mean that it was added. Because things from Scripture can be easily taken away. But also, our Westminster divines believed it was proper to keep it as part of the prayer. And they even add an enforcement to that in having a catechism question devoted to it. 
And as we see from our text from 1 Chronicles 29, it very much is a part of Scripture. It is a biblical thing. You look at uh, chapter 29, verse 11, and those, those very words are spoken by David. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Those words form the basis of conclusion of prayer before God, a conclusion to prayer that was embodied by the prayers of many men in Scripture like Moses and Daniel, Isaiah, David here. And it's even there in heaven. Revelation 5. This is what they are, are singing and praising God with. It. The, the church triumphant hearing these words come along. And though the technicality of its authenticity may trouble some. I want to say its veracity is not in doubt. And I believe it proper. And what we gain from this is, as you see, first of all, we gain our encouragement. On the back of your bulletin is the larger catechism, question 196. And it asks this question, what does the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? And the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It teaches us to enforce our petitions with arguments which are to be taken not from any, un, any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God. We take our encouragement to pray from God and go a little further down. In regard whereof, as he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him. That he would. It brings us that encouragement to pray. Think about this in respect to what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 7 when, when we are called by God to cast all your cares upon God, cast everything upon God. Don't withhold. Now, how many of you have a lot of cares and troubles in your life? You, you, you'll see that this is more than just a two-minute endeavor. We're not just simply saying, God, I cast all my cares on you. Please help me. And then we get up and go on. No, we are, we are throwing everything that is a concern of our heart on the Lord. Why? Is it because our needs are so great? Or as this catechism says, uh, is it because we are so worthy or because we have this motivation to see God work in our lives and in other people's lives. No. What is the motivation to cast all your cares upon God? He tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7. It's because God cares for you. Isn't that wonderful? That's the reason. And when you do... You are saying, God, I know you care for me. What an encouragement to pray. There is nothing within our lives 
that is of insignificance to God. He cares for us. And so he says, cast all your cares on me. And and this conclusion is that encouraging reminder. What what is God doing when, when we pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? How is that an encouragement to us? It is reminding us that as we cast all our cares upon God, God is saying, I have made the fullness of my kingdom and the fullness of my power and the fullness of my glory at your disposal. Isn't that amazing? All that I have is for you. I care for you. Now, we don't embrace that truth very much in our prayers, do we? It's far from us at times. Cast all your cares. God is encouraging you. Pray to me. Take, take that half hour every day. Commune with me. Cast your cares upon me. I care for you. Mine is the kingdom. Mine is the power. Mine is the glory. And I make it all available to you. You grasp that truth? It's an amazing truth, isn't it? God has established his rule and sovereignty over all things. God, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And one of his pleasures is to care for us. God has the power. He has infinite power, might, and will. He speaks, and by the word of his power, it is done. As Genesis 18, 14, he declared to Abraham and to Sarah, is anything, what, too hard for the Lord? You know the answer. It's rhetorical. Of course not. It isn't. He has the glory. He is working everything to the praise of his glory. He is determined to love us and to enable us to have a share in his glory. He delivered uh, us from our sins and, and cleansed us from, from all of our sins through the blood of his son. And why did he do this? He says in Ezekiel 36, it's not for your sake I do this, but for my name's sake I do this. My glory is what I see and why I do this for you. And then he comes and Jesus says to us, you come and you ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Why? So that the Father may be glorified. He has connected his glory to our prayers. Doesn't that astound you? <laughs> we struggle to pray for five minutes. Because we have, and it, it comes back to this trouble, and it's what we have to get over as Christians. We have a small view of our God. So you see this conclusion to this prayer is there for our encouragement to pray to God and to see what kingdom power and glory He is open to us to experience in our prayer life with Him. It's also there for our praise. And it's not just simply that we are extolling God. But you see again in larger catechism, question number 196, you go down toward the middle of it uh, when uh, he says that we, uh, we are enforced in our petitions and arguments not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature but from God. 
and with our prayers to join praises, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotency, and glorious excellency. It's the thing about prayer in a prayer life, in acknowledging that His is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that that our prayer life becomes a time of worship with God. Worship. That's what the praise is all about. Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say his name, he said this, You awaken us to delight in your praise. You made us for yourself. And he goes on to say, And our heart is restless until it reposes in you. Here's that acknowledgement. And, and David, if you look at your text, he, David acknowledges that as he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And then you go down to verse 13, and he says, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? That's the wonder of this. Who are we that we get to pray to God and cast all our cares upon Him? Who are we that God should think upon us? And this makes for our praise, for His glorious grace. What have I done to deserve the kingdom, power, and glory of God? To be at my disposal. Well I have sinned a great deal. (laughs) I know I haven't done anything. To deserve it. But God has opened. The floodgates of his grace. To bless us with every spiritual blessing. And that becomes our praise. God who am I and who are my people. That we should be able to offer so willingly as this. Everything is from you. All things are yours. What we have is what you've given. It's an amazing thing. And even, you think about it with this, David, as a king, is the one who is saying these things. Yours is the kingdom. David, as king, was humble enough to confess and to praise God in this truth. And my friends, if you think that's easy for a heart of man, To declare those things. It isn't. (laughs) Oh it's so easy to be like Nebuchadnezzar. Who would stand up in a few hundred years. And say look at all this glorious kingdom. That I have built for myself. What a great and mighty name I have. God had to bring him low. That's the real heart of man. When we echo these words. We are acknowledging the wonder of of heavenly grace and glory that has met this unworthy man. It prepares our hearts for praise. And in our time of prayer, we are worshiping with God. We're not just simply pleading, God help us, but we are pleading God's glory and rejoicing in it. Your praise is for God's kingdom. 
Wow, it has come to earth in Christ. Your praise is for his will to be done. What a glorious thing when it is. Yours is the power. When we confess that, we, we are acknowledging a confidence in God, not just to help, but as it says there, the willingness and ableness of God to come and meet us and to do as, as Paul would declare in Ephesians 3, as he prayed for the church and he prayed for the power in the kingdom of God to be realized, he, he acknowledged, you, O oh God, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. Wow. My prayers may be small, but God, according to your power, do the things that will bring you the greatest glory. You see, in prayer, when we are praying with God, that communion with God is a heavenly experience where He lifts us up into His presence to commune with Him. We're drawn into the light and glory of our God through our Savior by the Spirit. And we have those moments in time as we are praying with our God to be able to praise Him and, and to experience a, a heavenly taste of glory that we know we'll be dwelling in eternally one day. You see, prayer is not just something we do. It's an experience with God. David had it. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And we say those things for our encouragement and our praise of God but it is also our amen. And you see that again with the larger catechism. You get to the end there, and you see how he says, and uh, no, uh, just reading, in regard whereof, as he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him that he would, and quietly rely upon him that he will, fulfill our requests, and to testify this, our desire and assurance, we say, amen. I like that phrase, we say. If you ever notice in our settings, I've encouraged you to be for, and here maybe the, the beginnings of the congregation doing it, but it's not the minister who says amen. It's the congregation who says Together, we are before God in prayer. And this is our amen. Amen is the one universal word. Whatever language you speak, whether it's Mandarin, or Hebrew, or Greek, or English, everyone says it. Amen. There's no difference. Maybe amen. If you want to say it incorrectly, it should be Amen according to English phonetics. But it's a universal word. And you know what it means? It means, truly, let it be. Let it be. It's a universal word that expresses trust and confidence in God. 
you are saying with amen that God I believe that you as God you hold the sovereign authority and ability and majesty and that whatever you do will show forth your kingdom your power and your glory and that's where I want to be in the midst of that that's where my heart is all my faith and all my hope and all my love rests in you and you alone and I know that whatever you do is good because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Is that your amen? You see, this, I think it's such an appropriate way to close all our prayers. Not vain repetition, but encouragement and praise and amen. So let us pray. Let us pray as the Lord our God has taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.